Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. There's a lot of spookiness with AI just from the newness of it all and the sort of what they call capability overhang, the things that we're learning that it can do that like maybe we didn't realize it could always do. I think it's similar to cloud where it was new and we had to kind of rethink that framework for how do we use this responsibly. The rules here are largely gonna be the same as how we vet our cloud applications. So the main questions to ask here, just like we do with our cloud apps, is how does data retention work? Is there a way to get my data off of their servers ultimately? And so right now, depending on the ways that you work with language models, in some contexts, those prompts will be used to train the model. In some contexts, they won't. In some situations, that matters. In other situations, it doesn't. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help overworked CPAs go down to 40 hours without giving up revenue. My name is Geraldine Carter. My guest today is Jason Statz. Jason, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. In case there are people out there who haven't heard of you or your show, et cetera, just give us a quick high level on who you are, where you are, what you do. I used to run firms. Now I'm one of those awful know-it-all people online that tells people how to run a firm. Most people know me from my daily podcast now, Jason Daily, but we just talk AI and how to make all this stuff more sustainable. And when you say sustainable, tell us what you mean, because some people might think environmentally sustainable. I don't think that's what you mean. No, just the sort of thing where you're like, could I actually see myself still doing this 36 months from now? Like uh, just the last five years, we've been put through a lot and we got to ultimately, you got to put yourself first and, and make sure that you can do this for the long haul. So we're talking today about chat GPT because it's hard to resist talking about it. There's so much it can do and it's likely to shake things up in the accounting industry. And I put the word out to clients, especially the ones in down to 40 and down to 25 hour CPA mastermind about what they wanted to ask you. So this conversation is almost entirely sourced from client and audience questions. So let's start with how you see this impacting the accounting industry in the next two to three years. Oh man, if I had that crystal ball. Uh, here's, here's the thing about like the where are we headed question is there's a whole lot of people smarter than me that understand this all better than me that are that still just have educated guesses and fundamentally like don't know. Everybody's kind of doing their best to pontificate where we're headed. And there's some like some general wisdom there probably, but to me more important than 
finding an answer to that question is how should it change what I do today, what I do tomorrow? And like, what is that kind of decision-making framework for me? So for myself, like that just starts with education. Like where are the people hanging out who are learning about this stuff and unlocking new things every day? Because for me, it's as much about the long-term viability of my firm as it is becoming a better advisor for my clients too, because they're going through the exact same thing. So like ultimately I think the best version of that is where the spaces where, where people like me are learning about this and sharing that stuff each day. So that's step one. I think people are kind of wanting to, they might feel tempted to go to step two and maybe skip step one and immediately ask, how can I be using this? What should I be using this for? Where do I start when it comes to using it rather than thinking about potentially their clients who are in the same boat trying to understand it? So it sounds like before we go to that second question, it sounds like you're almost saying before you even go to step two, which is implementing it, go to step one, which is understand what it is, what it's capable of, what it might be useful for and how it might be impacting your own clients. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of practical ways people are using it today. And that's kind of the first step is taking the spookiness out of it and it just being part of the way that you work and ultimately down the road, that's going to come easy to you. And you're, you'll be able to share that learning with, you know, the people that you advise. But yeah, step one is just how can it make my life better today? So then step two, how can it make their life better today? Chat GPT, it, right now it boils down to me to like very explicit like sets of tasks. Like what are the things that I spend a lot of my day doing? I think where a lot of people are starting right now is just written stuff emails, that sort of thing. So getting help, drafting sticky emails, changing the tone of emails to be more positive, that sort of thing, more professional, uh, more concise. And along the way, kind of just learning how to get the output you want out of language models. Like we have this resource that is unlimited that works 24 seven that we can use as much as we want, but it's very much a learned skill to get exactly what you want out of it. And there isn't going to be a point where it's not that way. Like it may get better, but ultimately the quality of the output is very much in the eye of the beholder. So there isn't this path to like chat GPT ultimately like just magically giving you exactly what you want. In many ways, it's a reflection of the quality of, of the prompts we're able to give it. And you can't learn this skill without just doing it, without getting it wrong, without learning how to improve upon that. And so right now, I think many of us, and we'll just take the really simple email example. We do that ROI calculation of, if it takes me just as long to write that email and edit it from scratch as it does to write a good prompt to get me a good email, why would I do that, right? If it's not saving me time. I think what that misses is there's a lot of value right now in just learning how to work with language models. That is something worth learning because they're gonna keep getting better and become a more ever-present part of work. So you went right for sticky emails. Where I was thinking you might go was perhaps figuring out how to do stuff, like asking ChatGPT to do accounting-y things. It's hard. Like, cause like the, honestly, one of the hardest aspects of ChatGPT is just that it isn't on rails and will do just about anything. Now Carter Gray put out a tweet recently that said, if you could design your own bot to do anything for you, absolutely anything, 
uh, what would it be? And the answers were across the board, but probably 50% of people were like, I never want to write an email again. Uh, like, I think we all just despise that. But the beauty of ChatGPT2 is it can also solve for the fiddly little things that there will never be a product for. Like, the what are the weird little nuanced things that you do that may be client-specific? Where it's not as if some other piece of technology just has to get there to do that for you. But, like, this will always just be this little, you know, thing that is unique to you that you have to do. I've used it for transforming data from one type to another. So you gotta do the old export out of one system, import into another system sort of thing and telling it what the data format needs to be and being able to just copy and paste that data in and then get the output data in the right format. Using it for extracting structured download files from bank statements. If I can't get a CSV from a client or a bank feed or something like that, getting a structured file that you can import into an accounting system. I will say, I don't know, to me, like the best framing of ChatGPT has kind of been like developing this collection of like, oh, here are the things that it does really well that I can use it for today. And that's why I try to like really plug into the other people in the profession who are using it a lot because I'm learning a lot from them. And like um, that is easier for my brain to like know the specific things that it does really well than to just sit down and make it useful because it is such an ambiguous thing, right? So for people who want to follow the people you're following, who are you following? Uh, Ashley Francis is putting a ton of great content out. She's a tax pro in Washington state. Uh, she's been posting stuff on Twitter and LinkedIn. I will say right now, there's not a ton of folks within our profession that are putting content out like this. Obviously I am. Uh, we're also seeing more from like our tech vendors, like running dedicated sessions on AI and on practical use cases for chat GPT and just other AI tooling for me right now. I think there's some frustration with like the pie in the sky possibilities of AI sorts of discussions. Like we're accountants, we're very practical people. Like that's all cool, but I still got to go respond to all of these emails that are in my inbox, right? Like, how does that help me today? So the the talks I've been most excited about have been the ones where it's like a panel of accountants talking about AI and like how they're actually putting it to use responsibly right now. So even though the pie in the sky pieces might be a little bit frustrating, there were a bunch of pie in the sky questions that came in. So I do want to circle back to those in a minute. But first, this one that came in was somebody who said, I just listened to your episode 58 and wow, the last 10 minutes was a kick in the pants on how clients assign value to arbitrary things we might dismiss as in air quotes fluff. And I would ask, since many clients are so non-technical, would they assign value to any of the work produced from ChatGPT? Or how would they even know the ChatGPT response is accurate? So before you even answer it, maybe just give other listeners who didn't hear your episode 58, just get us up to speed. Uh, when when people don't understand what you do, uh, perception is reality. So if you do accounting, if you do tax prep, all these different things, there's not a way to benchmark what you do versus what another firm does. Even if somebody brought the same tax return to two different people to prepare, if somebody gave that person a bigger refund, is it because they cheated? Is it because they broke the rules, right? So there's never gonna be a time when clients will have this absolutely, absolute understanding and appreciation of your technical expertise. And because that's the case, they will base 
you know, their perception of the quality of what you do on all these really silly arbitrary things that we may not even be thinking about, like how you present over video and was the lobby nicer than that other accounting firm's lobby? Like all of these other things that were like, accountants will be like, do you have any idea how much technical expertise I have on this and that? And it's like, your client doesn't know. And that's just sad and frustrating uh, when you think about how much, how much we fixate on the technical aspects. But on the subject of AI generated stuff, like the, the kind of blanket thing we always need to like, just be acknowledging here is no matter how something gets generated, we are still responsible for the output. So like there's never a day where AI generates something and you just send it off, at least not in the, in the near term. So with the asterisk that we are always ultimately responsible for what goes out the door, and that's what makes accounting firms suited to use AI. We already do this. We already have review frameworks and, and are kind of the experts at validating technical stuff. Then does it matter whether it was generated by AI or not? It's a hot topic. I would say if you went to a website and I was trying to, you know, fix something on my dishwasher. And if that article was generated via AI versus generated by a human, if that article solved my problem, would it matter to me? Would I care how it was generated? And right now, it like, and I don't, I don't know if there is an absolute right answer to this. I put the poll up on Twitter and like 75% of people said they didn't care. 25% of people said they did care. There's some consideration here for like, what about the people who were writing those articles previously? Um, so it, like it is a sticky, it's a sticky question. Ultimately, if you, ask, if you put the question to our clients, I think at the end of the day, like a lot of this is probably inside baseball and what our clients ultimately care about is like, are we ensuring the best outcome for them? I think, I think kind of the destination and, and the end result is probably what they're most worried about. Okay, so next question. Would it eventually be able to scrape my server for data, such as when a client asks, what was my 2021 AGI? Oh, it already can, yeah. If we think ahead to what long -term, the long-term value of AI will be, right now we have ChatGPT, which is this general knowledge, and it's pretty helpful. But there will never be a general knowledge that is smart enough to where we just like blindly trust its answers to tax research questions or something like that. Like ultimately what we needed to do is fetch the most relevant information for us, the subject matter, with which to make a decision. So longer term, and honestly, even today, the best use cases for these language models are those that sit atop specific context. And so some examples of how people are using that today, I gave a talk at Engage a few weeks back where we had this companion chat bot that had all of this context just for that talk. And it would only answer questions about that talk, nothing else. We got a few new proposed tax bills two days ago. This morning I just posted on Twitter a chat bot that will talk about the text of those three new tax bills because you're probably not gonna go out and read them yourself, but you can like ask it to summarize and ask it about specific things to see if it's there. Longer term in a client facing context, I'm thinking about as a firm runner, what is the proprietary context that only I have access to? Because if I don't have anything that ChatGPT doesn't have, like people just go to ChatGPT, right? So longer term, this is something we've been talking about a bunch on the pod. Like as a subject matter expert, longer term, 
I think a lot of our value comes from what is our proprietary context that language models can give people access to. And one of those things is your tax filing history, your accounting file, all that, right? That's not stuff that people have general access to. So the technology is absolutely there to do it today. What we're working out is like, who's gonna do that in our space? Is that the practice management system? If a client has a conversation with that chatbot that can see into all their documents and all the stuff in their portal and their accounting ledger and their past tax filings, is there an advisor in the loop in those conversations? Is it just like total YOLO, the client can come and ask questions and we trust that all the answers will be correct? Is there a confidence level that the language model has in its response where it's like, if it's below this confidence level, I'm actually gonna bounce the question to the advisor for them to answer, but the language model will give you all the information it thinks you need to build your own answer. So that stuff is all possible. To be honest, right now we're like working through, is that valuable? Like, how do you put that in front of a client? How does the advisor like get in the loop there still? And it like, does it ultimately displace the advisor in any way? So it can be done. We're just kind of thinking through all those things right now. Let's talk about security and privacy. What are some of the issues you see when it comes to something like client A asking for or accidentally accessing info on client B? What do we need to be aware of when it comes to security and privacy for this stuff? There's a lot of spookiness with AI just from the newness of it all and the sort of what they call capability overhang, the things that we're learning that it can do that like maybe we didn't realize it could always do. I think it's similar to cloud where it was new and we had to kind of rethink that framework for how do we use this responsibly. Um, but at the end of the day, unless you are using like very fly by night stuff that is like, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of models out there. Like unless somebody's like using this scrapped together stuff that isn't built in a transparent way, which we shouldn't be doing in the same way that we don't use cloud apps that like you don't know anything about, right? The rules here are largely gonna be the same as how we vet our cloud applications. So the main questions to ask here, just like we do with our cloud apps, is how does data retention work? Is there a way to get my data off of their servers ultimately? And so right now, depending on the ways that you work with language models, in some contexts, those prompts will be used to train the model. In some contexts, they won't. In some situations, that matters. In other situations, it doesn't. So we do a lot of things where it's like, it ultimately wouldn't matter if that was trained into the model. But a lot of progress has been made here. A company like OpenAI, who's the one behind ChatGPT, um, like this is a SOC 2 company, like that's one of the biggest like infrastructures that is managing, like running all of these things that we use every day. Like it is a massive company, but we're still pretty spooked by it. That being said, there's extremely secure ways to use AI right now that, where people are you know, putting HIPAA protected information into like Microsoft's Azure OpenAI service. Like there are right ways and wrong ways to do it. When it comes specifically to ChatGPT, right now what we need a better handle on is we need a policy explicitly outlining the right and the wrong ways for people to use it within our firms. And there's sort of three different delineations of the type of information we put in there. There is non-client stuff, where it's like, it really probably ultimately doesn't matter. There's anonymized client stuff. So right now, anonymized health data under HIPAA rules, anonymized personal information under GDPR rules, under California's rules, 
is not like personally identifiable information if it's if it's not able to be tied back to a specific person. Like that is kind of the second class of stuff in my mind. And then the third class is identifiable client information. And so for each of those three things, what's okay for me to put into a model and what isn't, while also taking into account like there's a setting in ChatGPT right now to like turn off model training on your prompts. And I say this today, this wasn't a thing three weeks ago, and it could even change by the time that the podcast is published. But for me, my job as a firm runner is to like have a very explicit policy for what are the okay ways for my team to use it and the not okay ways to use it. I want to go a little bit into the implementation. I was at a conference recently and I heard a young woman who referred to herself as a zillennial straddling generation Z and a millennial talk about being a digital native. And what she said that took me a moment to get my head around. So I'm a Gen Xer and me and likely those who came before me meet people first in the flesh and then connect on social second. She said that her generation, many in her generation, meet people first on social and meet in the flesh second. And it made me think about, like, given the digital divide that just seems to get wider and wider, like we just seem to move up farther and farther apart, like the universe just continues to expand and accelerate. I was thinking about older CPAs who may take the approach in their firms as they grow of higher people in the flesh first, automate and technology second. Whereas younger people may take the approach as they grow, automate and technology first, higher second. And I'm wondering if that's something you see and if so, what you make of that. Interesting. Uh, there's probably a degree of that happening. Um, I don't want to generalize. Some of the like most forward-thinking folks I've met online are what's a nice way to say this quote unquote old, uh, I, that, that word is probably all relative and the number for what that is keeps changing as, as I get old. Right. Um, so to, like with that asterisk of like not wanting to generalize everyone, there, there's definitely a different level of like digital literacy. And when you come into something like say somebody's got this, like their Zapier whiz or something like that, they've got this problem and they're like, uh, we like, we need to expand our ops team to be able to support this. If somebody has that like built-in knowledge, they're going to be like, no, like we just need somebody to get this set up for us to make that problem go away. I think that's probably, you know, a thing that has been developing from when people were first using computers and all of that. And that's probably just a continuum that is kind of continuing as it always has probably. But now I would say it's happening at a faster rate. Um, I think the rate of change right now, it will ultimately increase the delta between the client between the firms that are leaning into it and are not leaning into it so there's probably a greater cost than there has been in the past for not leaning into it so I, it makes sense to me and definitely like and my own kids i've got three kids under 10 like you can just see in them like the way that they interact with the world like i don't know that they'll ever use a keyboard like it's it's just different and they will it will be easier for them to learn it, lean into certain things. I don't know what, probably what we look at today as a tech first solution in the past would have been like, 
um, you know, the tech first solution would have been, we're gonna do accounting on computers rather than manually too. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's probably all relative, but I do think it's changing faster now than it has in the past. So let's talk about the cost of not leaning into it because so many of the questions that I receive from masterminders and other clients were really about the sort of crystal ball nature of this and thinking about how should I design my firm or given chat GPT and AI, how should I be rethinking how I design my firm so that I start to alter the course or the trajectory now so that I don't get behind, like I don't design my firm in a way that's gonna be outdated or obsolete three years down the line. So especially for the smaller firms, like the two to five people kind of thing, what does all this make you think about how they might be thinking about how to design their firm so that it you know, takes advantage and leverages AI and chat GPT and everything else that's coming? Probably three big things. First, uh, ultimately, this will be realized by everyone on a personal productivity level, but also organizationally through the tools that we use. And it's never been more important to be mindful of who you are hitching your wagon to. If you got a practice management system that runs your entire firm and they are not ultimately leaning into AI, like that's going to hurt you. And that's, that's outside of your control, uh, you know, from the standpoint that they're the ones determining what to develop, not you. So right now it's completely fair to be asking the questions of, of your tech partners of how are you leaning into AI? What we hear a lot that I think is a bit of a red flag is when our partners will say, we've been using AI for decades, like full stop. Uh, I think we're hearing that a lot right now. That's totally fine. And that's even a, a great thing that they have been. But what I wanna hear is AI has changed a lot in the last 18 months and what we have now was not on people's radar. This was not ultimately what they thought would be the most meaningful AI application, this kind of brute force text generation thing. Um, so ultimately what I wanna hear from vendors is like, what's happened in the last 18 months that has you excited? And I get that it takes time to put it in, like to put it into production and all that, but we need to be asking those questions of tech partners. Uh, second, it's worth thinking about Folks that come in to do this work have varying appetites for change and willingness to adapt to new stuff. There are some people who live on that stuff and absolutely love it. And like, that is what gets them out of bed in the morning. It's other people like we know that are the opposite, right? So that has become more important as I think change is happening faster. And then third, uh, just your framework for change and for learning new things like it's different like it's it's there is it is a more pressing time if your clients are genuinely at risk of their businesses being disrupted by ai you have to be plugged into ai like you have to learn this and this is how it has always been for accountants cloud came around we didn't identify as cloud experts like now we are these wizards at connecting these online systems in a way that most of our small business clients aren't and before all that we weren't saying, yeah, no, that's totally the type of person I identify as that, that person that can do all those things, but like, that's just what we ended up doing. COVID relief, like goodness sakes, like we had to learn all that stuff overnight. Like this is just the way that it is. And I guess is kind of how public accounting is, is if we are going to be good advisors, we have to become experts in the things that are, you know, impacting our clients, right? <laughs> All the more reason to niche. Just what we wanted, Geraldine. One more thing. 
one more thing to have to learn and be experts on, right? You know, if you have clients who are all over the map and some of them are about to get chewed up and spat out by ChatGPT, their whole business, their whole business model, you know, a third of your clients are, but two thirds of your clients are not. It's just all the more reason to niche because either you go all in and you learn it because your clients need it because they all look the same, or you don't have to go all in and learn it because your clients all look the same and they're not necessarily exposed to it in the same way. So let's see, here's one more on the specifics and a crystal ball question. What tax work do you think is going to be easiest to replace by AI? So the like the versions of AI we've had in tax work thus far where I don't, it's probably not AI, depends how people define it, but we've had a lot of like OCR and extraction and pulling that stuff into tax software. And the AI we have today will actually make that way better, way more cost-effective and accessible. But there isn't really any part of the process that AI cannot be involved in from having an AI do like a high-level technical review that ultimately is not a replacement for a human to do a technical review. But even things like, man, here's a pile of 60 documents for this 1040 in this completely unstructured format. Get this stuff organized in this format that is specific to my firm and this is how we do work papers and all of that and like get me 20% of the way there. Like stuff like that is going to be very accessible. What I'm really excited about, if you do taxes in the US, you know what a joy it is to use the tax softwares that uh, we have at our disposal and my tongue is so far in my cheek. These are not like modern systems, but really exciting stuff happening right now. GPT-4, the latest model we have, it has image processing capabilities. That is, it can see an image and understand what it sees there. And we are not that far from having desktop-based assistants that can see the things that we use. Think about a chat GPT type experience where you can see all the applications on my desktop and all that. This is actually gonna be built into Windows in the near future. So if we think about the ways we use ChatGPT now and reusable things like data transformations and stuff like that, prompt engineering, being able to share prompts with other people, extend that to the applications that we use, maybe some of the stinker applications like our tax software that are really hard to automate. I think the ways that we work with our tools will change in the near future. And what I mean, maybe a month ago, somebody on, tax, on uh, Twitter said, I'm not scared of AI because AI can't use Lacerta and I can. And that's gonna change real quick. It will be able to navigate programs and you teach it how to do this thing once in the same way that you would teach a human staff person and it will not forget those things. That becomes an asset for your firm that you're building up. So I'm really excited for that. I think if you think down the worst possible timeline of like, what if this stuff is incredibly powerful and all of that, like if you do that deep dive and truly think about what that universe looks like, there's still a pretty fun firm to be built around all the stuff that it ultimately won't do. So last questions here. For listeners who are hearing this and they're, you know, they have a million things on their plate and they're thinking like, this is awesome, but also, oh my gosh, how am I gonna wrap my head around this? What are some examples that you've seen in terms of other people using it in firms that you thought, oh wow, that is really amazing. That's so cool that they're doing that. A lot of people are using it in, in newsletter generation um, as like developing a first draft, pulling in context from a bunch of different sources and that's kind of their starting point, uh, easing that lift a bit. Maybe my favorite one right now, there are some really good tools for building chat bots on top of a body of context, kind of like what we talked about earlier. 
I think a really cool thing right now within firms is, and this is like a five or 10 minute build. So my favorite app for this right now, it's called Chat Thing. Basically for $50 a month, you get a bot that is built on top of GPT-4. You connect it with any documents, upload files, you know, connect it to your Google Drive, whatever, whatever documents you wanna connect it to, and it'll then just discuss those documents. And if you run a team, you know what a pain it is when all of your company policies and internal documents for employees are in all these disparate places, it becomes a problem of like, how do I find the answer to this very nuanced question? You got the employee manual, you got all this stuff that lives in different places. And this could be as simple as developing an internal bot that can connect to your Slack, to your teams. It can just live on a like a web page that is connected to all those sources of truth. And that'll get, that's a great step one. But step two is like, when you have those internal meetings where you talk about those things with clients, use a meeting recorder, get a transcript of them, build that context into the bot as well. So the bot becomes even more capable at not answering these questions, but pointing people to the source of truth with an answer. Because ultimately, like, can we trust it on all that, right? Like ultimately what, what you want is for it to point them to a source of truth. So compare how tricky that stuff is today to in your Teams Slack or Microsoft Teams or something like that. Anybody in your team being able to ask a question of this support bot that is like, how does time off accrual work during holidays or just some fiddly thing, right? Like that is just so much better. And for people who are curious, wanting to get into it, but also in many cases already time strapped, what have you seen in terms of people who are really leaning into it? What are you hearing them say in terms of time savings for investing the time to leverage this? I don't know. That's always such a hard thing to put a yardstick to, right? And then you automate this thing and then the, like that's just the new the, the new floor of your productive output and you've forgotten about it as as soon as you set that up. For me, it's it's not a calculation of how much can it save me as much as like what's the alternative. So, what the timeline where you just don't learn any of this stuff and you're not a good advisor to your clients and you're not leaning into it like the the cost of hiding under the rock like that's the cost I'm probably more interested in right ultimately it's going to be way across the board dependent upon the nature of the work that you do and and how easily you take to it and all of that uh, so I probably think more about it on the flip side um, what I love about this stuff is it is accessible like there are no dumb questions. Like you just kind of just have to start. It's it's not like some of the other, like I'm real into like no code stuff and like building custom integrations between your apps and all that. And like that has a technical bar to get over just to kind of start. And this is not that way. Like you can chuck anything in there and like that's just how you get started. I love it. Back to the beginning, just get started. This has been super great. If people want to find out more about you, your podcast, all the places you exist online and the group that you have, where can they do that? You put it very politely in the beginning if, if people haven't heard of me. I'm very easy to find online. You can literally just Google me. Uh, this, the thing that I'm investing the most in right now, I have a daily podcast for accountants called Jason Daily. It's a video podcast. You can get it on your podcast player, on YouTube. Uh, and we just talk about how to do this stuff in a in a way that'll ensure we're still having fun. We can do it long term. Also talk a lot of AI stuff because that's changing every single day. It's just kind of a 
fun crew of people to hang out with and share ideas with each day. Awesome. So just use your Googles and Google Jason stats and you will come <laughs> I know, right? right up. Jason, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming back on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thanks for having me. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.